0: Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Well, last week we began a little mini-series on prayer, setting aside our study on the book of Matthew, um, as we prepare for our week of prayer and fasting. And um, as we began that study on the little mini-series on prayer, we began last week looking at the privilege of prayer. And that what God has done for us, who God is, who I am, who we are. The fact is that God is, period. God is. God is God. God is God alone. He is the only God. He is the creator God. He is the one who has made us and not we ourselves. He's the one who's breathed the breath of life into us. We are the clay. He is the potter. And yet, he loved us and set His love upon us before we were ever even made, before He laid the foundation of the world. He knew that when He made us in His image and likeness, gave us the ability to make decisions, that man would make the decision to sin, to to turn away from Him, to rebel, and that that would that event by itself would separate us from him and that he desired for us not to be separated. So before the foundations of the world were laid and he knew that what was going to happen in his perfect foreknowledge, he predestined then as well what the decision would be and that would be that he would come himself incarnate upon the earth, that he would pay the penalty of our sins, that we might have the ability, the privilege, the privilege, to be brought back into this relationship with Him. God has a desire for us to have this relationship with Him. And so last week we considered the the definition of prayer, and we saw that prayer is communication with God in worship that is based upon our relationship with Him. Prayer is communication with God in worship. And I say that right off the bat because too many times we go through cycles in the church, not necessarily our church, but in churchdom, if you would. And there are fads of, of theology, there are fads of doctrine. And so um, there was the holiness movement for many years. Um, the Puritans came out of it, and God is the, the holy, just God, and He is the, the judge. And so, based upon that, there is a, um, a, rightfully so, there is a large focus upon the sinfulness of man and the justice and, and wrath of God that comes upon it. And so there is this, this fear of God, which is rightful to be, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, And you can do a study, and I think it's a good study. If you would do this, you can do this with your e sort or your blue-letter Bible or whatever. You can even go to any of your Bible apps, and you can put in a search on the fear of the Lord Okay, and find out how many... Um, verses there are about the fear of the Lord, and see what it says about the fear of the Lord, and ask yourself, do you really have a a proper fear of the Lord? Paul says, this is Paul, the preacher of grace, he declares even, (coughs) in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, that would we go back to the Old Testament as the fear of God, right? Therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. So he, even Paul, knowing in his relationship with Jesus that he had, he still comes back to the fear of the Lord. So, But then we, we, we cycle out of that, because we understand that God is also a God of grace, and a God of mercy, and a God of love. And he says, therefore, we have the Spirit, what cries out, what? Abba. Abba. Father. Well, that's not, <coughs> sorry, that's not father. Father. So I, and, 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 and this is one of these, this is a babism, okay? So if you call your dad father, that's, that's okay, as long as it's loving. But for me, father, I don't want to hear my kids call me father. Father is very cold and callous to me. Now, it may not be to you. For, well, formal. You can say it's formal, but I say it's cold and callous. Anyways, it's, because it is formal. Father. Father, what do you want? <laughs> dad. I'm dad. Or daddy. And so Jessica was asking, what do they want? Oxel call me. I said, call me Puppy. Anyways. <laughs> Whatever. I don't want grandfather. Makes sense? But it's okay if you have that. But God tells us that we don't have to call him just Father. We have the spirit of adoption that cries out within us, what? Daddy. Daddy. The word Abba is the Aramaic word for Daddy. I can call the God of the universe. This is mind-boggling to me. This is something that causes my head to spin. I just love this. I can call the God of the universe, the one who breathed the breath of life into me, the one who spoke... and said, let there be light, and there was light. I can call him not just God, Almighty King, Father, but I can call him Daddy. Daddy. He wants to bring me up onto his his easy chair, called the throne. Set me on his lap. And take out a, a good book from the shelf. And sit down with me while I'm sitting on his lap and say, let's read a book together. How cool is that? Let me, let me, let me tell you what the author meant when he wrote that. Isn't that kind of cool? What an imagery. I needed that years ago. That was a little daydream of mine where I couldn't get to sleep. I won't tell you the whole story, but God transformed himself from that throne to that, to that recliner easy chair and said, but I'm still your, your daddy. I'm not just a judge. I'm your daddy. That was powerful to me. I love my dad. But my dad was a marine sergeant. I respected my dad. He still has a crew cut. I still respect my dad. If you would asked me if I loved my dad, I don't know. I I, I didn't know what love was. I feared my dad. I remember when I got in really bad trouble, and I won't tell you what I did. You can ask me later. in high school, and I thought my head was going to go through the wall. I thought I was going to be mounted from the living room. You know, you'd see, walk in, you'd see, oh, the deer antler. No, it was Bob's head, you know. And, but you'd go into my mom and dad's room, and you'd see the rest of my body hanging there. And uh, he didn't do that. But that's, what I, that's the fear of dad, the fear of the Lord. And so when I came to God, and I met God, and I recognized him as my father, that's what I, that's what I had. I was respectful. I mean, you have the fear of God, and God revealed him that he's Abba, he's Abba. So we go into we went into this phase in Christianity where there was this focus upon God being your your friend. He's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's your daddy, and so therefore you treat God like what? Hey, dude. Hey, he's a big man upstairs. It's just God, you know. Hey, and God, we hang out. We're like this. We're just kind of like, hey, God, friended me. Yeah. Did he friend you? Oh yeah, dude. You know, and, and we then bring God, what down? He's still who? He's still God. He's still the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the one who breathed the breath of life into me and he can do what? He can snuff it right back out. Your mom and dad may have said that growing up, but you know what? God really can. It's communication. It's a relationship. It's communication and and communion and fellowship with God. But ultimately, if you know him, it's going to be communication that's in worship and adoration for who he is and what he has done. We'll talk about that more as we get into the pattern of prayer. But but it's important for us to recall this as we go through this, that prayer isn't just hanging out with God. But I don't want to get rid of that part of it because there is a part where I am what? Hanging out with God. And I love it that God gives me the privilege. I don't have to worry about whether his golden scepter is going to be held out toward me so that I can come into his presence. I walk into the room and God says what? Hey, son, come talk to me. I've been waiting to talk to you. I've been sitting here a long time. When's the last time you've afforded yourself the privilege of just going into the throne room and talking to Dad? Or don't you? See, if it's such a privilege for us to have this, then as well, it needs to be a priority. A priority. I mean... I reveal in my life what I think is important to me. And so today we want to look at the priority, quickly look at the priority of prayer, and then the place of prayer. Again, the place of prayer is, is going to be reflective of what I believe about it as well. So let's, we're going to go look at a lot of passages today. So let's turn to Mark, chapter 1. Because the first thing we want to do is we want to begin to look at the priority of prayer to Jesus. Okay, So Mark, chapter 1. And again, we're not going to need a lot of commentary as we go through this, because it's going to be very self-explanatory. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. This says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon, Shimon, and Andrew, with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came, and he took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she, and, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, when they brought him to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, new paragraph, now in the morning, having risen a long while before what? There is a part of the day that's really happens before what? The sun comes up. Yeah. Risen a long while before daylight. He went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. What a busy day the day before. He was in the synagogue. Had a lot of things going on in the synagogue. He got out of church. He went home to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. So he heals her. And he just gets done healing her. And then what happens? The whole town comes to the house. They weren't invited. Go away. We're chilling out, man. I'm burnt out. I've just spent all Sunday morning ministering to people. I need my own time. Right? He didn't say that. What did he say? Apparently. Come on in. And they fill the house, and he spends the rest of the day into the evening doing what? Healing the sick, casting out demons, ministering to the people. We don't know how long this lasted, but we're told there was a mighty crowd that was around them. I mean, could you imagine? It's my turn, 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 it's my turn. turn. I don't know how long this lasted. But I imagine it went long into the night. What would you have done the next morning? (laughs) Yeah, you got it. Be honest. How many of you would have slept in? Yeah, okay. Don't worry about setting the alarm today, baby. We've done a lot of ministry yesterday. We'll, We'll talk to God whenever. Not Jesus. Because talking to his father was a what? Priority, and so he set his alarm. I know he didn't probably have an alarm. Maybe he set the the rooster to go off earlier. I don't know. Anyways, however they worked that out back in those days, right? But he got up early. He didn't roll back over and say, "Man, that was a rough day yesterday. Time, I'll get up in two hours." He got up. We have the, the advantage today of having what alarms. We may call that advantage. We may call that a disadvantage. But we have alarms. And so your first meeting in the morning is at seven o'clock. You have a decision to make. Are you gonna get a shower? You're gonna brush your teeth? You're gonna go to the bathroom. I mean this is pretty basic stuff, right? You're gonna have breakfast. Oh no, that meeting's for breakfast. Okay, well I don't have to have breakfast, okay. Are you going to read your Bible and pray? See, so you can get up five minutes before you get hit the door. So if I'm meeting them at 7 and it's going to take me 10 minutes to get there, that means i got to leave at 6.50. If I get up at 6.45, I can already have my clothes hanged out. I can jump into it, go like this with a toothbrush, and I can hit out the door, right? I won't ask you how many people would do that. It may be 10 minutes for you because you're not as fast putting on doing the fireman drill, okay? Or do you say, no, I want at least 45 minutes of fellowship with my father? before I go. So it's going to take me a half an hour getting through the bathroom, shower, shave, other stuff, you know. And and so now I need an hour and 15 minutes. So if I'm leaving at quarter till seven, that means I need to wake up at 6.45, take that hour, I gotta go back to 5.45, now I gotta drop my alarm to 5.30 just to make a breakfast appointment at seven. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what Jesus did. Jesus said it didn't matter what happened the night before, it didn't matter what's happening today. It's a I know, I know the minute everybody else starts waking up, what's going to happen. They're going to want me for something. My day's gone. So if I want to spend time with my father, I gotta do what? I gotta get up early. Let's go on. Matthew 14. Turn back to Matthew. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Context? What just happened? Okay, John the Baptist had been beheaded. He was trying to get away to a a lonely spot. And what happened? The crowds followed followed him and he had to feed 5,000. And he taught them and he ministered to them. This is after that. So after that, he finally gets rid of his disciples, too. Tells his disciples to go into a boat. Verse 23, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. Let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued, how long? All night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. In the first account, Jesus had things going on in his life. He just needed to what? Get away. He needed to think. Who was he going to turn to in those t- times of hardships? His father. He had decisions in the second one. He said decisions to make. Again, things in life that were going on. Decisions that he had to make. And he knew where he needed to go for his wisdom. He needed to turn to who? His father. He needed to turn to dad. And because, again, people were continually there... He needed to be able to use the time that he had and so his time was when again nighttime <laughs> he gave again up he gave what up again sleep you ever read about how much proverbs talks about the lazy man rolling over like a like a door turning a, like a door on its hinges on his bed there's a lion in the street i love that one i swear there's a whole lot of lions in my neighborhood you know, go look out the window. I know there's another lion, Dad. I think it was just a, a little cat. No, I'm sure it was just a pretend cat. It was a lion. We're lazy. We're lazy. L A Z Y. You ain't got no alibi. Yeah, we we kind of joke about that. But you know what? I look in the mirror of my soul, and I point my finger and I say, what? You're, people say, you're not lazy. You don't know me. I am lazy. I love to be lazy. I do. But I know there's, there's a, God has worked within me to help me change the way I what? Think. I want to be lazy. to you get it? I want to be lazy. But I learned that I want my time with dad more. Does that make sense? I mean, you've got a lot of things to go on in life. There's a lot of things you can do. And you've got to set the priority of which of those things you're going to do. Love the testimony. Caleb had a what? A conflict of interest going on. He had two things that were both what? Good. It wasn't like one was bad and one was good. They were both good. Which of the two good things is he going to do? So he had to set a priority. And praise God, he chose people over punching a ticket. Does that make sense? What am I doing with my relationship with God? Jesus said, this is extremely important, I'm going to pray all night. I'm going to go my Father for my wisdom and for my counsel. Luke 22. We have a couple of passages in Luke 22. If you're looking at sermon note sheet, I'm only picking and choosing some of the verses that are there. You have other verses that you can continue to look at later for your own uh, study. But Luke 22, this is a great verse. So, in the context, the the communion was going on. Um, In the context, you know, it starts off with, um, Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me. And they start off saying, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? There's all concern that it could be them. And then it switches from this concern that it could be them to, Well, it couldn't be me because I'm the what? I'm the favorite. I'm this. I'm the greatest. And they start debating over who the greatest is. And then from that, from John chapter 13, John 13... Not, don't go there, but that's where John 13 fits in. That's when Jesus gets the, uh, the basin and the towel, and he begins to wash their feet, right? So right in the heels of all of this that's going on between this chapter and John 13, Peter's talking about how great he is, right? And so I wonder if this kind of conversation is also going on just as Jesus is getting to wash Peter's feet. OK, I don't I, I can't say that, but I know these two these two events are happening simultaneously. They're working together. Right. And so Jesus says to Peter, um, verse 31, he says, Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Oh, I'm so glad he asked you because you're what? You're my defender. You're my protector. And you told him what? Get lost. It didn't happen that way, did it? Verse 32, but I have, what? Prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. (laughs) And when you have returned to me, what does that say? You're going to fail. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So there's Jesus. He knows that those who are his fellowships, those he loves, those who are of like mind, are going to what? Not just fail, they're going to be what? They're going to be tested. They're going going to be sifted like wheat. You all are going to go through spiritual trials, probably even this week. Even as we get closer and closer to the week of prayer and fasting, if if it's anything that's important to you at all, if there's any priority on it, I promise you that this is not always the best time. There's times when I don't want to do this anymore, because I know every time we have prayer and fasting, it's a time when there's going to be great trials, testing. Periosmoi that happen, that troublesome times that come in, that God allows those things to go on in order to try us, in order to prove us, in order to cause us to grow. That's what we want. We just don't like the process. And so we're going to go through that. So, in that, how often then do you pray? Jesus says, I'm praying for you. you Do you ever think about this? Who is Jesus? He's God. And God saying to Peter, I'm what? I'm praying for you. But even though I'm praying for you, I know that you're what? You're still going to fall. You're still going to flounder. But when you return, when you repent, when you respond, when you are converted, whichever, how your, your, your version states this, when you return to me, that tells me what? He's going to return. That ultimately, Jesus' prayers are going to be what? Answered. I want you to do something for me. I want you to what? I want you to strengthen your brethren. Because they're going to what? They're going to be trial, struggling too. So get your eyes off of yourself and put them on other people, just like I'm doing. And that was the whole picture of him with the basin and the tile. Just as I'm serving you, you ought to what? Serve one another. If Jesus is praying for me, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, then I should be what? Praying for others as well. Stay in Luke 22, drop down to verse 39. Again, this is going to be like we we just saw when Jesus is going up to the mountain. We said, coming out, this is after they sang the hymn. It says, coming out, we went to the Mount of Olives. He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so we're told that two or three times that happened, in other um, accounts as well. And so there before the greatest darkness, darkest hour of Jesus' life, quote-unquote, if you would, what did he do? He prayed. He went for strength, again, for wisdom, for comfort, to dad. He ran to dad. He went to dad. How often do you go to dad? I'm not talking about your earthly dad. I'm not talking about your earthly father. How often do you go to your Abba? Is he your Abba? I mean, if he's not your Abba, if he's not your daddy, if if you've never experienced true relationship with him, then you don't get this. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, this is life eternal. This is life eternal. This is eternal life. This is life eternal. This is life. Ongoingness of life. That they may know you. Gnosko. Not oida. Not edo, Gnosko. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There is a difference between factually, and I did, I mean, I factually, I adored, Oida, God, for 23 years. I knew factually all about God. I can tell you that, that, that God was a three-part, that He was a Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and that Jesus came incarnate to the earth, and that he, he died on the cross, and that all that kind of stuff, but I didn't believe it in my heart. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing the facts and knowing God. Gnosko is relational knowledge. You can tell me all you want about gravity. But I promise you, you're going to have a more intimate story when you're working on the roof and you take a step too far. Now you're going to start talking experientially about gravity. I don't know what happened with Isaac Newton and the the, the apple falling from the tree when he was laying underneath it. That's always a story, right? But... Somehow, experientially, he decided something about gravity and w- went with it, right? There's a difference between knowing about God. I so, and fear of, fear, that's concern. For our generation, there are too many people who know about God. But they don't know him. They don't know God. And we want to throw out Terms. If you really knew him, if you really knew him, you'd want to hang out with him. You'd want to spend time with him. You'd want to know him better. you want to know him deeper. You couldn't be in his presence, kind of hanging on to the sins that we hang on to. Maybe that's why we don't want to go into his presence. because we want to hang on to that more than we want to hang on to him. And Jesus said, you can't serve two idols. you got to make a decision which one you want to serve. Which one are you going to love? You can't love them both. Which is going to be the priority in your life? Well, this is exciting to me, because... Prayer wasn't just a priority to Him. It is a priority to Him. In John 17, where I just quoted that whole chapter, is a high priestly prayer of Jesus for His disciples. And He didn't just pray, and you can go there later, because I'm not going to read this whole chapter for you right now. He didn't just pray for the disciples who were with Him then. He prayed for us. He prayed for us. That we would be one as he is one. That the world would know that there was a oneness in God because of the oneness they would see in us. And that we would understand that his word is truth. We would be sanctified in his truth because his word is truth. That we would be spending time in his word. Turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. Where we see this same concept being played out. Verse 34. This is in the whole context of... I'm going to start at verse 31, just for context. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies... Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and who is even at the right hand of God who also makes what? Intercession for us. So what's Jesus doing at the right hand of the Father? He's praying for us. He hasn't stopped. It wasn't that he just prayed for Peter at that time. He wasn't just praying for the, the first twelve, but He is praying for us. Hebrews chapter 7 talks about the same thing, that He is making intercession for us. He is interceding. He is supplicating. I don't have to go to Mary. <laughs> How sad that you've got to pray to all the other gods, saints, in order to get to Jesus. There is, what do we read this morning in 1 Timothy 2? There is one mediator. One mediator. Between God and man, it is the man Christ Jesus. Only Jesus. And Jesus is sitting there making intercession for me. How cool is that? And we're told in Romans 8, if we continue to go on, even when I don't know how to pray myself, that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for me. The entirety of the Godhead is involved in this concept of prayer, it's a priority to Jesus. It's a priority to God. Priority to disciples. Look at all these verses. And there's other verses on your sermon. No cheat. You can look at them. What don't you notice in this whole list of verses? This is an argument from from silence. A conjecture, as we've talked about from Sunday school. But I'm a strong conjecture. I'm going to go with this. What don't you notice here? They're all references from Where? The book of Acts. Where are they not references from? The Gospels. the Gospels. There is no reference Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Because when Jesus was on the earth, apparently, prayer wasn't a what? Priority. Priority. In fact, I know that from Luke 22, because Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I got something to say to you. Peter says, say on. He says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Boy, I'm sure glad he's asked you, because I know, da-da-da-da-da-da. Jesus says, no, it's not going to work that way. Rather, I'm praying for you, when you are returned strengthen your brethren they go out to the garden same night just a little bit later same night Jesus says to Peter pray so you don't fall and fall into temptation Satan has asked us if you like wheat hmm pray so you don't fall to temptation hmm one plus one equals five it doesn't happen that way But Peter didn't get it, right? He's a lot like us, yes? And so, next time we see Peter, James, and John, not just Peter, but James and John with them, right? What are they doing? They're sleeping. Because prayer wasn't the priority. They were sleeping. When Jesus was staying, what? Awake in prayer. You get it? Just like Jesus got up early, just as Jesus stayed up late, because he wanted to have fellowship. He found the time. It wasn't the priority of the disciples. When did it become a priority? After Jesus was ascended. It is amazing to see that the first act of the apostles, quote unquote, that we read about after Jesus ascends is that the the brethren, 120 of them, get together to do what? Pray. Pray. To pray. Pray. And they're praying. And when they're praying, that's when the Holy Spirit came upon them with great power. And they began to speak with other languages so that the, the people, the, the Jews who were from all around the world, they were in Jerusalem, the, the, the Parthians and the Medes and the, from Bithynia and from Cappadocia and all these other places. They were all in there and they all heard them speak with their own languages. And 3,000 souls got saved that day, Right? And we're told that those three thousand souls were saved, they were added to the apostles, added to the disciples. And at the end of chapter one, I don 't have it here, but you can go in, in chapter two, you can go and look at it. It says that they continued in what? They can, one of the things they continued in was prayer. They continued in the apostles' doctrine and prayer and fellowship and in prayer. They continued in prayer. Prayer was important. It was one of the things that they continued to do, Acts chapter six. Anybody know what happened in Acts chapter six? Brian, Mark, come on. What happened in Acts chapter 6? First deacons. (laughs) Oh, don't go into neglecting of the widows. That sucks like sin. Okay? Why was there... Think about it. So we go with the neglecting of the widows, right? And the choosing of the disciples. But in that, verse 2 to 4, when the apostles, who were the original elders, said to the church, look, this is all messed up. We're, we're, We're messing this up because... We, as the the spiritual leaders, the elders, the apostles, are trying to take care of feeding the widows. And that's not how it should work. But rather, what are we supposed to be doing? Prayer and study. It was a priority. It was such a priority that we needed to get other individuals involved in the ministry to take care of the work of the ministry so that the leaders could continue in prayer. Prayer. Not selfish but I don't mean it's a selfish how is it important to you that I pray how is impo- how important is it to you that I have time to study now i I commend you all because of the th- that, i mean I am now full time this is exciting i mean i I mean I tell you you know I, I get paid to do I always think of Steve Mart- martin and it 's probably not a good thing you know the incredible thing to me is I get paid for doing this i mean i i don't want to do anything else in my life this is i mean the most vibrant thing. I mean, I love to teach, but even more than loving to teach, I love to teach God's Word. And I got people who want to pay me to do that. Who want to meet with me so I can teach them more. I mean, that doesn't get any better than that to me. How exciting it is. So, this is not a a, a statement of condemnation at all. But just in your mind, do you only give because that's what you're supposed to do? How important is it for you that Steve, David, and I—three elders, not tenors—elders—take um, time to pray and to study God's Word. Is it important? Do you even think about it? Do you pray for us to have time for prayer? Do you pray for us to have a priority on it—that that we actually take time to read and study God's Word, that we can be better prepared to minister the Word to you? It's a big deal. Acts chapter ten, verse nine. Anybody know who that's about? Peter. Peter. Acts chapter 10 is all about Cornelius the Centurion. But before we talk about Cornelius the Centurion, first we hear about who? Peter. Right? Because Peter was in Joppa, and he was at Simon the Tanner's house. And and Peter decided to do what? Go up on the rooftop to pray. He needed to do what? Get away. Did he get it? Pr- prayer was a priority to him. Prayer was a priority. And so he needed to get away from the people, I'm conjecturing, but he went where? Up on the housetop. So he'd have space to pray. And then we know what happened in his time of prayer. I often wonder, what if G- what if Peter hadn't felt compelled to go up and pray? I mean, it's when he goes up there, when he sees the What? The vision. Would God have just shown them the vision no matter where He was at? God could do that. But sometimes I wonder how much do I miss in the illumination of God? Because I'm not hanging out with God, not sitting on His lap, reading the book together, having the author explain to me what He really meant. Do, do you, I mean, I don't want to draw that picture too much on that. But you, I mean, that's what it is. I'm, I'm spending my time with God. And that's when God used. to to be able to provoke Peter so that when these guys came to Peter, he didn't just poof them off. He even states that. Well, (laughs) you know, I was just having this vision and these guys came to the door and I realized, I'm supposed to go with you. Acts 13. Anybody know what happens in Acts 13? It's the first time the church ever did something. uh, They send out missionaries. exactly right, okay? Who were the missionaries, Chuck? Paul and Barnabas. And the the elders were doing what? uh, Praying and fasting. They were praying and fasting. They were hanging out together. They've been praying and fasting. Now they're hanging out together. And while they're hanging out together, God burdened them to send out missionaries. Now, I don't know how it played out. I don't know if he burdened Peter, or Peter. Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas brought it to the elders. I don't know how all that played out. All I know is that we're told in God's word that the elders were praying and fasting. And then they felt led by the Holy Spirit to send out Paul and Barnabas. And so then it says, and then after they prayed and fasted some more, and they prayed over them, then they sent them out. It was important to the early church. Acts 16. Anybody know what's going on in Acts 16? What's going on in Acts 16? Good. Who were? Paul and Silas. Okay. Okay. Where are they at? What city? Philippi. Philippi. Okay? Negative things happening there. I mean, there was a whole lot of things going on, but then all of a sudden this woman, we talked about this in Sunday school, right? We're talking about the, the sorceresses and stuff like that. And so you have this this um, woman telling the future, right? She's proclaiming that, that Paul and Barnabas were, or Paul and Silas were What? They were men of God, and they were proclaiming the, the ways of God. And yet Paul turns around and realizes she's speaking from a demon, and he casts the demon out. And now all of a sudden her owners get really upset because she can't prognosticate who's going to win the, the, the horse races anymore. And I'm, I didn't say anything about horse races, but you get what I'm saying, right? And they get upset because they're going to lose their fortune over this woman, okay? And so they come and they arrest Paul and Silas, and they throw them in jail. They are unjustly persecuted. And yet Paul and Silas are in jail doing what? Singing hymns and praying. Praying. Apparently they're doing it out loud. They're doing it for other people even to hear. They're probably praying together. They're not worrying about whether the other prisoners hear them. They're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in their hearts to the Lord, but it's not just with their hearts, but with their mouth. How do I know that that's going on? How do I know that probably it's all vocal? Say again? Because the others heard it. Specifically, there's one person who probably heard it. The jailer probably heard it. Because he comes directly to them when all this happens. Prayer became a priority to the disciples when they began to have a relationship with the risen Savior. It just became natural. Again, it was natural Remember last week we talked about it, it's just natural. It became a natural thing, it became then a priority. Because it was such a privilege to them, therefore it should be a priority to us. First Peter four, let's turn there. First Peter four, verse seven. Peter only writes two small epistles to the church, but boy, they're both full of great wisdom and insight. In both of which he gives words of admonition and warning regarding the end times. And in verse seven of chapter four here, he says, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious in what? Watchful in your prayers. The end of all things is near. When did Peter write? 2,000 years ago, give or take a few years here, right? So do you think the end of all things is pretty close? At least closer than it was in Peter's day? So if Peter's saying, look, the end of all things is near, therefore you need to be what? Diligent and watchful in your prayers, how much more so should it be to us Whom, as we look prophetically and we see Israel becoming a nation again and we begin to see all the things being made for the temple of God. And we understand from the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 11, that there will be a temple that is there. When you can look and you can see prophetically things being fulfilled in your day, how much more so should prayer be a priority? And yet we say that to now, and you can all amen with me, and we go rah, 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 but you know when it's going to be really proven out? Tonight and tomorrow morning. Is prayer really going to be a priority to you? Or is it just a rah, rah moment when we get together? Is it going to be a priority a month from now when we're gathering together for a whole week, and you've got to set aside some time to come together as a body to pray? You don't have to. It's not a spiritual endeavor. We don't take attendance. Make sense? So I never want it to feel that way, and I don't want you to feel like you got to come because you don't have to come. Make sense? There are times over the years of doing this, and we've done this for many years, I've wanted to not do this anymore because I get a little discouraged by this week sometimes. But the Lord has continued to encourage me that it's not about me. It's not about this church. It's all about Him. And you can be meeting in your house and praying together with us. But, you know, there's something when the church gathers together and prays. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 to 18. What's that chapter all about? Relationships, of God. Relationships but thank you. But, yeah, this, this section clearly is about the, the armor of God, Right? And so we're told to put on the whole armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, having on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and having the, the shield of faith where we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. But that doesn't stop there. We quote and we stop right there. But you know what? That, that armor of God goes on, beginning at verse 18. So verse 17 talks about the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, there's no period at the end of 17. It's just continued into verse 18, praying, always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly as I ought to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador and change that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak we joke a lot of times about Paul with his run-on sentences but I think he had these run-on sentences because he wanted us to realize that a thought process wasn't what ended but it all went together Prayer is a part of the armor of God. You can't do the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and the shield of faith. You don't have prayer with it. It just doesn't make any sense. It's, have you ever gone to one of those places and you see the, the, um, the, the... I'm thinking right now, I'm thinking of a place in Covington, Kentucky. There was a, uh, um, a hotel that had that um, middle age motif, and the armor's just standing there. You know what I'm talking about? how oh, they have just a pseudo-armor. Thank you. That pseudo-armor just sitting there. Does it do a lot? It doesn't do a lot. Because there's no what? There's nobody in it. There's no spirit in it. There's no power in it. There's nothing to move it. Prayer is the life force. Behind it all, praying always with all prayer and supplication. We'll talk about that later as we go. Romans twelve nine to 13. Um, we don't have time to go into this, but again, into the one and other passages where we're told to pray for one another. 1 Timothy 2, which we read this morning. We're supposed to be praying for kings and all who are in authority, right? And then it says that holy men, that men, men, not women, because very clearly we're told about what the men ought to do and what the women ought to be doing, right? And men ought to be the ones who are doing what? Lifting up holy hands to the Lord in prayer. It ought to be the men who are praying, not the women, nothing personal. women you can pray too, and we have times when we open up for everybody to pray, but men, you ought to be leading your houses in your churches and in your neighborhoods in prayer. It's us. it's me. it's you. I don't want to say, say us because again we can hide behind what a collective statement so i'm talking to each of you men individually like we're in canada together sitting at the waterfall i always say it when first sunday sunday night when we get together if you can't find time for god while you're here it has nothing to do about your schedule back home it has everything to do about your heart and your relationship and your desire so not the woman. Phase the woman out. Phase the kids out. Don't blame the woman. Don't blame the kids. How much time do you spend with God? And you're worried about your kids? You're worried about your wife? You're worried about the people at work? You need to worry about you. How much time do you spend on your knees? You don't have to be on your knees, but you know what I'm saying. Before God. How big of a priority is it to you? What are you willing to do with your alarm clock in order to have the time? I'm not talking about your wife. I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about you. Maybe if we as men individually set the priority upon it, maybe our kids would come along. Maybe if we set the priority upon it, maybe our wives would come along. Maybe if we set the priority upon it, maybe the people at work would come along. I'm not saying they will. But we're too worried about badmouthing everybody else and worrying about everybody else's problem. But judge not, lest you be judged. And with what judgment you judge us, it should be measured unto you, right? And why do you worry about the, the speck that's in your brother or sister's or wife or son's or daughter's eyes when there's a beam in your own eye? Take care of the beam. And then you'll see clearly. Sorry. It ought to be a priority. David says, crying out to God. This is kind of fun because even as we're doing Psalm 119, do you realize that as you're as we're singing bait, it's a whole prayer. The writer of the Psalm 9, 119 is he he's, he's talking to God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto, according to your word? To your word, he's talking to God. And David in Psalm five says he's crying out to God, "Give ear unto my words, O God. Consider my meditation." Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my king and my God. For unto you will I pray. In the mornings, I will lift up my voice. When? In the mornings. Psalm 119, as we go to as we continue singing, you're going you're to get the ones that are going to make you uncomfortable because David's going to be talking about how he's meditating upon on, on God's word in the night watches, and that he's talking to God even in the middle of the night. I say David. Because I think David wrote it. Prayer is an indicator of the importance of my relationship with God. It's an an indicator. If If I have no desire to spend time with Him, then it says something about my relationship. When Marcia and I are struggling with each other, it's happened twice, I think, in our entire marriage. It was both her fault. Anyways, when we're struggling, every Monday night is date night. But when we're struggling... We're bubbling over with joy to go out together. Not. But as I shared last week, I know, and she knows, that's the time when what? We need to go out and spend some time together. And if I get that in my relationship with my wife, how much more so in my relationship with the God of the universe? The place of prayer, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, But I want to address this because there is confusion sometimes in the church about this. Okay, And so in Matthew chapter 6, as we went through that, and we talked about this last week as well, um, this is part of the time of the injunction when there is the assumptions that Jesus makes when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, and pray, pray, the injunction to pray. But he says when you pray, you're supposed to do something. And that's do what? Go into your closet, or into your room, into a, an inner room, okay, into a, a private room, is kind of the idea, go into private, so when you pray, go into private, don't be like the hypocrites, the, the Pharisees, who, who love to pray out on the streets, okay, they love to go out, and oh God, you know, they want everybody else to pray, we'll talk about the public prayer in a moment, but private prayer is important, because it is an act of my personal worship, as we've been talking about. If, if I know who God is, and I know who I am, and, and I love God for it, then I'm just going to do it. I'm going ha- to... I love my wife. I love my wife. I'm so thankful for my wife. And I'm not saying this publicly. I tell... Do I tell you this privately? I do, okay? And, and she is the next best thing that God has ever done for me other than Jesus Christ, I thought she was the best thing since sliced bread and peanut butter because I didn't know that I met until I met Jesus, then I realized there was something better than her. I felt bad for her the day that I met Jesus because I feel that she's second to fiddle now. But it's good because I'm committed to her because I'm committed to Jesus. Do you get it? There's times I love her like I love pepperoni pizza. I want to get rid of her because then I'll mitchin. You know, make sense? Ooh, get rid of that. It disturbs my belly. I don't want that anymore. Get another model. Maybe we can eat some other kind of pizza. Maybe we can eat gluten-free or you know some kind of cheese-free pizza. No, I love her. I love her to death. I love what she does for me. I'm just talking about a woman. Do you understand? How much more so? The God who has saved my soul. I've got to have a desire. So we looked at Acts 10 already. That's Peter. He could have said he was in Joppa. He was hanging out. He had things going on. He was ministering to people. But yet, in the middle of all of that, he found what? A place to go hide. I struggle with that. Finding a place to go hide. I'm excited. My mom and dad had me come up a, a year ago. I don't know, a year and a half ago. When did we go and do that? Was it last fall? And, 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 and made like a small little room, sitting room kind of thing, down in her basement. It's still a basement. You look out and you see the washer and dryer and the, the drain on the floor and all that kind of stuff. But in this one little spot, there's carpet and we have the, the little things that come down. And there's, it's going to be a great place when I go up there to go what? To go hide. To go pray. My sister's already using it. She loves it. Because that's her place to go hide. To get alone with God. so hard in the midst of everything to make that priority for God. But if you want it, you'll what? You'll find a way to make it happen in public as an act of collective prayer. Again, these are all things from the book of Acts, which we have looked at, and some others that we haven't. But the reality is that here in Acts chapter 4, that's when Peter was thrown in jail, right? And he's released... And he comes out, and he immediately goes to where? Does anybody know? Where the are. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Acts 12. He goes to, to where the others are. Where, where, is, where, where was that? They were in the upper room, right, they were, well, no, they weren't in the upper room. The 12, they, were at, uh, they were at Mark's house. At his, at his, at his mom's house. Dor- or not Dorcas. Um, ah, Rhoda. Or was that the- yeah, anyways. It was, but it was at their house. And he went there, though, to that house, because he knew that they would be there. They would be gathered together, and they were there praying. Acts 4, that's the one when the apostles were thrown in prison, and they got out, and they went to the apostles, right? And when they go to the the apostles, they go to the disciples, and they gather together, and what do the disciples do in Acts 4? They thank God for the persecution, and they ask God for strength and boldness, that they won't buckle in all this. But that God would be glorified. And what happens in the middle of that prayer? The room begins to shake. The power of God starts coming upon them. Now, I'm not saying we need to be worried about the, the, you know, maybe that's why we have so many cracks in here. Maybe it really is, um, it's moving. Well, probably is, but not. But I hope, you know, we want the, the Spirit to be on here in a mighty way. Do you really believe the Holy Spirit works that way? I mean, do you really believe that? I mean, we've kind of nixed the Holy Spirit from this whole process, haven't we? I mean, it's all about just what? Us praying. We're power. We're power. No, I'm not power. We'll get to the power of prayer later. But it's not about me. It's all about God. But it's about my yieldedness to God. My desire, my setting a priority upon this. And so the early apostles had this priority. But when they got together, they got together in public. And they prayed together. Do you get it? There is a place for public prayer prayer. But public prayer is an act of collective worship. It's not for me to go out onto the street corner and draw attention to myself praying. Do you get it? Public prayer is when we gather together and we pray. There are times I go to a restaurant and I want to stand up and say, hey, I know you all haven't prayed, so I'm getting ready to pray for my meal so you all can bow your heads if you want. You know, a joke about that, but If you did that, really, what are you doing? You're drawing attention to yourself, not to your Father. And so if you want to thank God for your food while you're at a restaurant, which is a good thing to do, then do it together. And you may be together, and you may hold hands, and you may pray, but you don't have to pray real loud evangelistically so that everybody else around you hears the gospel, because then you're really not talking to God. Make sense? It's not a collective act of worship. Now you're just playing it out because you want to draw attention to yourself. You have the relationship with God. Let God handle the rest. I also believe in this, that in these passages, and you can look at these, along with 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that God is a God of order and not a God of chaos. And that when we pray then collectively, it's still one by one. Now, there are times when you can pray all together at the same time. And I understand that. But generally, as we gather together collectively and we're praying together, there are, there are groups that practice that when we say, hey, let's pray, then what happens? Everybody's praying. And that's okay. God can hear everybody at one time, and that's all good. But I really believe that for the edification of the body, First Corinthians 14, you can go check me out on this, Okay that it says that everything is done decently in order, and that one person does one thing, and then the next person does it, and the next person, and that if the, 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 the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, and so that when someone else begins to speak, then the first one ought to be able to hold their tongue. And so when we get together, that's why when we get together, we pray either around a circle or popcorn, and one person, you know, we just continue to pray, and that others then are respectful of the other individual speaking to the Father because we're coming to the throne together. Make sense? not individually. We're coming together and we're agreeing with one another in our prayers. Okay? So, in the end, collective prayer is generally a product of personal prayer. Why don't you see a whole lot of churches praying? Having a desire to pray collectively? Because they're not praying individually. If you've got a bunch of praying people getting together, what are they going to want to do together? Pray. Does it make sense? And so... I mean, straight up, again, I'm not asking you to punch a ticket, but when we come to these weeks of prayer and fasting, I, this is our, our revival week. The, you know, people have the, the week of revival meetings. This is our revival meetings. We don't have somebody come in and speak. This is the revival week. You know, that we're talking about that We're coming because God, we're asking God to revive our hearts. Do we really want that? So what does your prayer life reveal about your relationship with God? Not before me, not before others, but before God. What does your prayer life reveal about the priority of God in your life? If you have no priority on prayer, then you really don't have a priority on God. Would it be helpful to set yourself an alarm to remind you to pray? You can do that. If you've got your little you know, calendar program, if you use even Google Calendar or whatever, you can set yourself an appointment to wake up, and then you can even give it an alarm to go off. You can even download an app, what's called an alarm clock, and you can even have it put music on it. And if you have a problem, um, like some others, and they have to have three or four alarm clocks all over their rooms, uh, this kind of doesn't make any sense. Anyways, you got to train yourself to what? This is discipline, folks. This is called discipline. You train yourself. So when the alarm goes off, you what? You get up. We are a, a nation of lazy people. I need five alarms to get up. Good grief. I hope the house wasn't on fire. How many times does a smoke alarm got to go off before you're going to get out of bed? Only when the bed starts getting warm. Oh, that stupid battery. (laughs) Do you participate in times of collective prayer of the assembly? We're going to have a time tonight of collective prayer. I'm not saying everybody's got to pray. I'm not saying that. But if you don't, if you purposely avoid those times, why? Why? I mean, why don't you want to pray? I think Wednesday night is the most important night. Sunday night when we gather together for care group and we pray, it's the most important time. These two weeks of prayer and fasting are the most important weeks that we have. This is the life of the assembly. If you think Sunday morning and the Sunday morning service is it, you're so far off. I mean, if you're punching your ticket to come here Sunday morning, you missed it. This isn't the relationship. This is punching a ticket. Hang it up. Is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, help us to have a yearn inside us to spend time with you. Lord, to, to, to give you the glory that you rightfully deserve. And to Lord, just to, to hear your voice. Speak to us. I believe there's so many times we don't hear your voice because we don't believe that you'll speak. Forgive us for that. Or we don't even spend time to even hear you speak. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified in my life individually, in the life of this assembly. Lord, cause us to be a people who desire to spend time in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.